I'm Catherine Mazzone here on behalf of Mojo Streaming, and I'm very proud to announce our guest, Jordan Gledhill. Hi, guys. Thank you again for being with us. Thanks for taking the time. You're currently in Costa Rica, right? You were telling me about the monkeys that you're seeing there. What, what's it like there and why are you there? Yeah, so at the moment, I'm out in uh, Costa Rica and in particularly the Osa Peninsula. Um, so it's a really special part of Costa Rica. It actually used to be an island um, that then fused with the mainland. And because of that, um, it's massively biodiverse. It actually holds 2.5% of the world's biodiversity just in this small peninsula. Um, so I'm living in the jungle. Um, I'm working for a, a turtle project called Coprot. Um, we work with the community um, to sort of build capacity in the community, help them uh, move away from the illegal gold mining. Um, and we're protecting the, the turtles that come nesting on our beaches. Last year, we had over 6,000 turtles nesting on our beaches. So it's hard work, but very rewarding. Yeah, you've seen those magnificent uh, videos and, and photos of all of the sea turtles going from their nests, the little babies going from their nests to the oceans, just very iconic and to yeah, be a part of that. Yeah, the babies are always a winner. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, I, I have to make mention of your, your organization. Obviously, you're a conservationist and, and you're involved in your own organization. I started um, One Planet Conservation Awareness um, at university. It started as a, a blog. After I left university, I wanted to keep, keep sort of looking at the literature and keeping up with what's going on in the world of conservation. Um, and then when COVID hit, um, I realised that a lot of these small projects and a lot of small NGOs around the world are struggling, especially if they depend on um, donations and volunteers and tourism. Um, so we kind of ramped up One Planet to become more of a a platform to celebrate different NGOs around the world. We worked in particular with um, a project called Bawindi um, Development Network that works with gorillas in Uganda. Familiar, um, familiar with Alex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Alex is a great guy. So we, we worked with him, um, improving his social media, and we were able to raise some money for him. Um, and a, a great project in Kenya called the Conservation Education Society. Um, Again, a project in, in Borneo, One Stop Borneo, um, where we were able to raise some funds to um, start reforesting some palm oil plantations and create corridors of fig trees so that hornbills can distribute more trees. Um, and also a project out here in Costa Rica, the Sloth Conservation Society, um, where we were able to raise money for a, a sloth bridge um, so sloths can safely cross the roads. But the idea was to raise awareness for these small projects, um, you know, that might not be able to reach a wider audience. So we would make videos for them, small documentaries for them, um, and try and help them get their message across. Um, a lot of them found it quite hard during COVID. Um, and thankfully, we were able to give them some support um, and ra raise a bit of awareness for the, the great work that they're doing. So your organization is One Planet, and One Planet really just aims to kind of shed light on all of these other NGOs. It's kind of an um, umbrella for awareness 
of, of these other great groups that might be tucked away. Yeah, yeah. They do all this work from there. It's incredible. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed during COVID when I was stuck in the UK, being able to call, call Alex and look at the Ugandan mountains. It was a shaky connection, but could still could still uh, appreciate it. So how do you how do you find are these individuals and, and organizers finding you or are you reaching out to them? Um, so some of them I know from from working around um, the world in conservation projects. It's quite a small world. So you hear of different projects that are doing similar things. Um, but a few of these, so for example, Alex in Burundi and the, in Kenya um, with Kelly's project, um, I just been searching on the internet for small projects that look as though they have um, sort of a good good mission and good focus. Because um, you know, big projects like WWF um, and the Rainforest Alliance, you know, they've got millions of pounds to spend on advertisement and raising awareness. So I was just looking for these small projects that are working hard to, you know, make their communities better and improve biodiversity, but just need a bit of help in terms of connecting and networking. So do you do you then go in and and offer um, services for free or for a lower rate than they would normally have to pay? Um, so we just do it completely voluntary. We we've never um, taken any money off these projects. Um, I do it with my university friend um, Jody, um, who I call the media wizard or sometimes the media troll. Um, and she she's the one that makes these amazing videos, these amazing uh, mini documentaries and makes our website look lovely. Um, so, yeah, we just offer we see what they need, what their needs are. If they're looking for funds or if they're just looking for, for advertisement on videos. Um, and, yeah, we try and see what we can do for them, whether it's making a little video to raise awareness about the species they work with or raise awareness about the work that they're doing. Um, so we have a YouTube channel that's got a few of our different videos on. Um, and we've also just tried to share a few of the sort of darker shadow conservation projects and like things that people don't really think about um, and like interview different conservationists. For example, a project in Sierra Leone, no one ever thinks of Sierra Leone as like a biodiverse place or a place of conservation projects. So finding projects like this that maybe people would have never heard of that have amazing wildlife, but also have quite serious, you know, environmental issues. Um, and we want to celebrate the projects that are out there, um, you know, living in the jungle, sacrificing quite a, a lot of like a, a normal life mm-hmm. um, and celebrate what they're doing and get their message out. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask you more about this in a moment, but I'm curious, there has been a shift in conservation in recent years because of the state of our planet, as well as just a a natural shift, I suppose, where people are, you know, there's fewer David Attenboroughs and more people just getting out there nitty gritty with the camera showing what what they can um, as far as conservation media. But what you're doing, it's, it's also very unique. And I'm wondering how you got the idea to to reach out to these groups. Um, I think it's more because, from my own experience and Jody's experience of you know, living in these different countries and working on these small projects, um, 
So I've, I've worked with small projects in South Africa and Vietnam, Cambodia, um, Thailand, Malaysia. And a lot of the time, the people running these projects um, struggle. They find it hard to get funding. The work is really tiring, especially the first experience that I had working with turtles at the Cook Fong Turtle Conservation Center in Vietnam. I met this incredible woman called Thuy. Um, and she just works tirelessly, lives in quite a strange house in the middle of this forest. It was in the middle of winter, so it was raining and cold. Um, I just felt the need that, you know, these people that are sacrificing, as I say, a normal life, normally women, so they're under a lot of pressure to, you know, have kids, get married. They get a lot of comments like, when are you going to get a real job? Why are you hanging around with all these, like, Western volunteers and things? So I wanted to celebrate their work and, you know, let them know that they're appreciated, um, let them know that all their hard work is worth something and that actually, you know, they may think that they're not living a normal life, but other people think they're living sort of like the dream life. I'm interested how you're, you got started with your conservation work. Have you always been, have you always been um, a lover of animals and wildlife and just you had to pursue your passion or did you find out your love later in life? Yeah, I was quite lucky. I knew that I was going to do this from a very young age. I think my mom would tell you that I was playing with lots of zoo animal toys from a very young age. And I'm quite lucky. I live in a really, well, I was brought up in a really beautiful place in the UK, full of wildlife by the ocean and beautiful national parks. So I always had that connection to nature. And I guess controversially, my sort of idol as a kid was Steve Irwin. Um, so watching his programs and reading his books and, you know, watching his adventures really inspired me to want to get out and travel and, and protect um, our biodiversity as well. And of course, being British, we all love David Attenborough. Right. Of course. <laughs> and those khaki, those khaki shorts. Uh, I know you're a big fan and, and that conservation life is more like the life of Steve Irwin than maybe you first anticipated or absolutely everywhere you're not a true conservationist so you have khaki shorts and you wear <laughs> socks and crocs well it definitely fit the bill uh half the time <laughs> at least um it's it's really amazing a lot of people might look at your situation and think that's so cool how did he just automatically pursue his passion without uh you know doing the the menial job thing along the way so how did you just get to where you are um i think perseverance i think a problem with conservation is people sort of give up quite early um there's a lot of pressures like your friends around you and sometimes your family wanting you to get as i keep saying a normal job but i'm super lucky my parents don't really care what i do as long as i'm happy They'd much rather I'd be in a jungle than in a city somewhere. Um, and quite a few of my friends love traveling and work in conservation as well. So we sort of drive each other um, to keep going. Um, and just hard work and taking your opportunities. Like it's difficult to find a job in conservation. Everyone has to start as a volunteer and then as an intern and things like that. But you need to make the most of those opportunities. And when you are an intern somewhere, you know, give 110%, show them that you're, you know, capable of a higher role. And then eventually you catch a break 
and you can become a project coordinator, project manager. Um, so that's all about sort of taking your opportunities, really. And as conservation has shifted, have you noticed the evolution of conservationism in, in recent years? And, and if so, how do you think it's evolved? Um, so I think it's an, a couple of different scales, really. I think conservation has moved on from the historic sort of Africa model of creating a border of a national park and kicking out the locals because it's proven doesn't work. If you look at Chitwan National Park in Nepal, Corcovado National Park here, whenever you move people out of an area and tell them that they can't do something, you just create more problems. So that started to change. Um, and also more recently with COVID, how a lot of projects were supporting themselves on ecotourism and some projects were, you know, getting volunteers to spend a lot of money to come and have these experiences. Um, and I think COVID has kind of weeded the good from the bad when it comes to conservation projects. And it's those pro projects that were really, you know, their passion was in the biodiversity and the species they were protecting rather than creating money. Um, and I think it's moving now to more towards sort of building community like capacity and resilience um, and basing your project around the community as well as the species um, or the habitat. So I think the successful conservation projects and the ones that survived COVID are the ones that put like the community at the heart of what they're doing um, and use the community to drive their, their project. So do you think it's a matter of having more conservationists and more NGOs or just having the right ones, just doing things a little bit differently in some situations? I think, again, this is something that um, came out of COVID was that where, the, where there was too many projects trying to do the same thing, that's where problems arose. And sometimes it's rather than trying to create a new project, better to see what's already there and see if you can just help an existing project or help an existing community group. Um, and that needs to be backed off research and evidence and the need for your project, then it will be successful. Whereas if you're just doing it for the sake of, you know, you like the species or you think it will be a cool thing to do, those are the conservation projects that aren't going to last. Do you think that now that more people are paying attention to the state of our, our world, that um, conservationism has become maybe a little bit trendier? Yeah, I think it's definitely become trendy, but I think it's also you need to be careful of not getting complacent in your, in your bubble. Like those that work in conservation and care about the environment, we surround ourselves with other people that care about the environment. It's quite important to step outside of your own bubble and see what the general consensus is. And having had to move back to the UK during COVID, it was quite eye-opening to see that, you know, although lots of people love to watch a programme we have called Spring Watch, where they look at nice squirrels and blue tits nesting in a, a nest box, actually, do they make that connection between their love for nature and actually making small changes and sacrifices in their life to protect it? And unfortunately, I think that's quite slow. That connection is not moving as quickly as we would like. So I think it's really important that those that do care about the environment and work in conservation need to step outside of their bubble and actually maybe the focus shouldn't be on, you know, 
complete research, we need to be putting money and resources and energy into outreach and getting these messages across, um, building capacity in, in local communities um, and just changing how we talk about these things. Like, yeah, it's great if you stop using a plastic straw, for example, um, but you know, that's a tiny, a tiny drop in the sea, if you like, of, of what you can be doing. Um, so I think it's important not to, you know, let yourself off the hook when it comes to this kind of stuff. And the most powerful thing you can do is talk, really keep talking. If you hear someone talking rubbish about, you know, this kind of stuff, you speak up, tell them, have a nice, you know, don't have to go crazy with them, but have a discussion of, you know, why they might be wrong. Um, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but, you know, make sure you're getting your opinion across. So if you know your stuff, then don't be afraid to share it. Right. Well, and, and a perfect example might be uh, you being from the UK, you're probably aware about the, uh, the proposed ban on trophy imports of, of wild animals. Um, have, have you been um, keen on that discussion? Have you been a part of that discussion in any way? Uh, not personally, I haven't been involved in anything like that. But I think if you look at the state of the UK, one, one thing I always say is it's very easy to point the fingers at places like China and Africa. But if you look at the state of the UK's environment, it's embarrassing. Um, and actually, if they were talking about trophy hunting, like if you look at most of the land in the UK that's used for grouse shooting and deer shooting, like that's a huge area of land that could be used for rewilding projects. Um, it's a huge area of land where, where the landowners are still poisoning birds of prey. Like there's been releases of these amazing white-tailed eagles across the UK, but yet these landowners that own the grouse shooting um, like farms and parks are still poisoning these big birds. Um, so it's, a, it's good that we're banning, you know, trophy hunting is super, super important. Um, but I sometimes feel that the UK are using those things like concentrating on, on shark finning and things like that, which are super important, but they kind of use that as a bit of a greenwash so that they don't have to concentrate on what's going on in the UK. Like our rivers are a mess. Like we may have absolutely awful rivers, um, a lot of our land use just isn't being used for, for nature in mind. Um, so I think the UK really needs to take a look at themselves before they start looking um, outwards as well. And how do you get people to do that? I mean, how do you create more enthusiasm for these things, which is op which obviously needs to happen if we're going to correct the wrongs? Um, so I think... Um, the younger generation, so something that I was doing in the UK was working with, with school children, um, taking them into the forest and teaching them about the environment. So building that, that connection with young people in nature, um, you know, if they're able to love and connect to nature, then they're more likely to protect it. Um, but for, you know, the older generation, the people that have the spending power and the voting power already, um, I think the best way to do it is show the, the co-benefits of doing these things. For example, not mowing your, your front yard, um, showing them the co-benefits of that. You know, it's not just for the bees, like it's going to improve the air quality, especially in the cities. Um, and things like 
putting a monetary value on things. So Tony Juniper, for example, who's now the head of Natural England, which is the governing uh, advisory body for the government, um, he wrote a great book about what has nature ever done for us. And essentially he's put like um, uh, economic value on the ecosystem services that nature provides, provides us. I think that's a really important thing to do when you're speaking to governments and local councils is talking about these co-benefits of these actions. So whether it's planting trees, cleaning your river, yeah, it has a positive impact on the environment, but it has positive impacts on health, physical and mental health. Um, it can have economic um, uh, like positives as well, saving money on, on health issues. Uh, it can save money on water purification. Um, so talk, showing people, you know, they might not care about nature, but they care about their health and everyone cares about money. Um, so that's something that they can connect to nature with if they're not too keen on watching the squirrels and the blue tits. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So what issues do you think, um, what issues should we be paying attention to? Uh, what do you think are the most pressing issues for conservationists right now? Um, I think equi equability really making the, I think the ma major problem is sort of the social injustice of environmental issues, you know, climate justice, environmental justice is social justice essentially. Um, yeah. And making these, this top 1% who are emitting the most carbon and emitting, you know, causing the most damage to our planet we need to make them you know, pay for what they're doing. There needs to be much, much more fair systems in place in terms of who's feeling the impacts of climate change and environmental damage and who are the ones that are causing it, um, which I think at the moment is something that you know, these big corporations and governments are getting away with far too easily. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have the movement in the, the US of Extinction Rebellion, um, but it's something that I got um, heavily involved with in the UK, who are using um, uh, civil disobedience. Um, so things like, you know, blocking roads, dropping banners, um, and basically making some noise um, for in front of governments and these big corporations to show them that, you know, the time for talking is over, and they need to start taking some action. Um, so I would encourage people, if people are getting angry about this kind of stuff about environmental issues and they're not sure where to look they're not sure where they can put their energy Just go check out what extinction rebellion are doing um doesn't matter where you are in the world you can get involved with them um you don't have to be in the street gluing yourself to things you can help with social media you can talk to people um but i think that's what needs to be done like you, you know it's all well and good chatting in the pub with someone but unless you're on the streets, making some noise, uh, you know, making life difficult for these these big corporations, then nothing's going to change. So how uh, how are you funded, and how can people participate or, I guess, donate to your cause? Um, so right now, the, with the project I'm working on, Coprot. Um, so we're a small organisation uh, working to protect our turtle nesting beaches. So we've got a big population of olive ridleys and uh, the Pacific green, both of which are endangered. Um, so we rely on small grants, donations, um, tours, um, 
volunteers come and they contribute towards their food and the running of the project. Um, so if people are interested to support um, our project here and we're looking for some donations to create like a small outdoor classroom so we can start bringing um, the local community in, teaching them English, teaching them about conservation. Um, so yeah, tortugas.osa.com. Um, you can adopt a nest, you can donate um, towards our project. And if anyone's coming out to Costa Rica, you can come and check out the project and stay with us. Um, and turtles, the reason why I work with turtles is because they're a nice, what we call umbrella species. Like if you protect the turtles, you're protecting the, the oceans, you're protecting the beaches, you're supporting the local communities, you're protecting the forests um, behind the beaches. Um, and everyone loves the turtle, so it's quite easy to use use turtles as like a, a drive to teach people about climate change and plastics and all these other environmental issues. What would you tell folks who might want to get involved with some aspect of, you know, maybe they they're good at uh, media or, you know, video or photography, and they want to do something for a conservation group, or maybe they want to get fully involved and, and have that as their full-time job. I don't know if that's possible right away, but, but what would yeah, you say no, to those folks? I think this is something that is changing at the moment. If you look at all the sort of environmental job websites, and it's a message I've always told my volunteers and interns is like anyone can be a conservationist. It doesn't matter what your background is. doesn't matter what your skills are. Like conservation needs lawyers, it needs media people, it needs photographers, it needs, you know, accountants. Anyone can use their skills and their experience um, in the environmental sector and conservation. And I think that's starting to change now. You know, uh, even small organizations are looking to um, improve their, their finances through more professional accounting. Um, they're looking to get um, more professional like event organizers and fundraisers um, and really every little helps like even if it's just you in your office doesn't matter what you're doing even if you're you put a little pot to collect some money for some turtles or something or you're you're trying to encourage people to stop using their takeaway coffee cups like you can everyone can have an impact in in their role or their profession like you don't have to be living in the jungle to make a positive impact to the environment um you know and as i said before the best thing people can do is talk about it and bring these issues like climate change and social justice bring it into like everyday conversation um because i think a lot of people have these concerns but they sort of keep them bottled up and they're not sure how to talk about it um and that's something extinction rebellion really helped me with is finding that community where you can talk about these things with people, get it off your chest. Um, and there's a lot of people out there to, to support you as well. Um, so anyone that's worried about, you know, climate change, because it is really a worrying thing, um, just talk to people about it, whether it's online or in school or in your workplace. Um, and you can be the one, you know, that leads, leads this change. Like you, anyone can be a, a climate leader or an environmental leader. Um, doesn't matter how big or small your actions are. Like if we all start thinking of ourselves as leaders in this kind of stuff, then that's how we're going to make these bigger changes. Is that how you stay upbeat and positive with your work? 
how I stay upbeat and positive, I go off on my own and look at the ocean. I watch the pelicans surfing the waves, take my binoculars out and look at the birds. And yeah, all the volunteers that come through, like I've had some volunteers in Malaysia that came just for an experience and I still keep in contact with um, that are now budding conservationists. One particular girl, Yannicka, um, who's amazing. She came for two weeks to Malaysia to work with us in turtles and she's now studying conservation and she's probably been to more projects than I have. Wow. Um, so little things like that definitely keep you going. Always, always take the positives, however small they might be. Excellent advice. Words of wisdom to live with, for <laughs> sure, Jordan. Jordan, it's really a pleasure. I hope we can be in touch again about some other projects you're doing. Please keep us updated and um, we'll do the same. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for taking the time as well. Um, and yeah, check out our website. If anyone wants to get involved, come and spend some time in the jungle with us. Get some socks and crocs and we'll get you on the beach. Don't forget your khakis. Don't forget the khaki shorts. Exactly. All right. Thank you again, Jordan. Take care. Thank you. Bye, guys.